Welcome to the 169th podcast, and the 139th is a city on a hill church. In this world, there are men and women, male and female, both sexes created by God, in many ways different from one another, but equal in his sight, connected by a thousand physical and emotional strands, separated and made unique by those same internal forces. Here, so that they may fulfill different roles in God's kingdom, neither role more important than the other, each with responsibilities and good works to perform, all for his glory and the smooth functioning of his earthly creation. Today, Pastor Mark explores this important and very politically incorrect subject as he opens Isaiah 3, verses 16 through 26. He's entitled this message, Incorruptible Beauty. Here is Pastor Michael Clark. Okay, we're in Isaiah chapter 3, picking up where we left off last week. I encourage you to follow along with me if you're able to. Isaiah chapter 3, verses 16 through 26. And I'm going to just go ahead and read these 10 verses here, and we're going to finish up uh, the chapter. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 16, says this, Moreover, the Lord says, Because the daughters of Zion, or Jerusalem, another name for Jerusalem, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet, Therefore, the Lord will strike with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will uncover their secret parts. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery, the jingling anklets, the scarves and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets and the veils, the headdresses, the leg ornaments and the headbands, the perfume boxes, the charms and the rings, the nose jewels the festal apparel and the mantles, the outer garments, the purses and the mirrors, the fine linen, the turbans and the robes, so it shall be. Instead of a sweet smell, there will be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of a well, instead of well set hair, baldness. Instead of a rich robe, a girding of sackcloth and branding instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty in the war. Her gates shall lament and mourn, and she being desolate shall sit on the ground. So let me just say up front, this is going to be a very politically incorrect message, as you could tell from our text. So uh, don't you just love teaching through the Bible? You just deal with it all. And I never apologize for God's Word because what I'm going to share with you is from God's Word. I didn't write this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare speak this if, uh, if it were me coming up with this. But God, uh, God wrote this through the prophet Isaiah. And it's because he, he wants us to learn his heart and his will and his mind on these, uh, today, I would say very controversial issues. Um, uh, related to feminism and, and a woman's role in society and so forth. 
I've entitled this message, Incorruptible Beauty. Incorruptible Beauty. Last week, we looked at the patience and long-suffering of our God with His people. Uh, how God pleaded with Judah through His prophets and how He called them to repentance and He called them to revival. He wanted to restore them to Himself. He didn't want to judge His people. Uh, but they wouldn't listen to the prophets that God was sending to them. God was forestalling his judgment. He was, he was long suffering and patient with them. Uh, they deserved to be judged, but God was just crying out to them to draw them back to himself. And the New Testament tells us that God is patient toward us, that God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. He's still forestalling his judgment with man. We deserve his judgment in America, probably more so than any nation in the history of the world, because we were the most Christian nation in the history of the world. And where we're going is anything but uh, Christian in the direction that our nation uh, is heading. And, and because we've turned our backs on God, our world is coming apart at the seams uh, and if we don't turn back to God, uh, our, our, our nation will be judged. As, as um, uh, Billy Graham used to say, if God doesn't judge America, if America doesn't repent and God doesn't judge America for their sins, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah because we're no different or no better than Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, and, and things are worse now, far worse than even when uh, uh, Billy Graham uh, preached and, and, and said that. So God is patient toward us. He was showing patience to his people. Uh, we read in verse 13 from last week, the Lord stands up to plead and stands to judge the people. Verse 14, the Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes. For you have eaten up the vineyard, the plunder of the poor is in your houses. So God is, he's pleading through the prophet Isaiah. Uh, he's standing up, uh, uh, indicating he's getting up to judge. He's not s s sitting on the throne, Isaiah is saying. He's getting up out of his throne to judge uh, Judah and to judge Israel. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people. Uh, judgment begins in the household of God, always has, always will. And God starts with the leadership, always has, always will, the elders of Israel. Now, a part of the judgment that God was bringing upon them in verse 12 of Isaiah chapter 3, as for my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. O my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. And so really, uh, it's the process of being given over by God to that which you really actually deserve. In other words, if we're a wicked people, why would God give us righteous leaders? We wouldn't like righteous leaders if we're a wicked people. So wicked people want wicked leaders over them. And that's exactly what happens uh, many times. Uh, if you look at Bible history, if you look at church history, it's the same thing. You have a wicked population, has no interest in God, the things of God, and, and eventually they drive out, they vote out the righteous leaders, and they vote in leaders that are like themselves, especially in a democratic republic like we have in America, uh, because we're repre representative government. We, we vote in people who we agree with, and 51% holds the majority, and uh, we, we see this uh, in our own nation. 
And so when he says, as for my people, children are their oppressors, we looked last week at some kids that were literally the kings of Judah uh, after, after Isaiah wrote this. Some of them, like Josiah, uh, I think he started at age eight as the king, but he was a good king. Uh, but they didn't really, uh, you know, they, 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 they didn't really appreciate Josiah. He was killed before he was 40 in battle. Um, and, and then you had these wicked kings that, that, that came on the scene. And, uh, many of them were, were, were just mere boys when they took the throne and easily manipulated by the people around them. And so he says, children are going to be your oppressors and women will rule over them. So right there, we know this is not politically correct <laughs> to, to, to say in today's society. Why would it be a problem for women to rule over them? Well, um, you know, in, in, in the Jewish culture, there was uh, a very clear defined role for women. Uh, women held a very honored place, a very honorable place uh, in Jewish culture. They still do th- to this day. Uh, however, um, the women weren't the ones who really held the rule over the kingdom, like as a king. Uh, often when they had queens ruling over them, they were very wicked queens. Um, and they, uh, they didn't rule over the temple. Those were the priests. And in order to be a priest, you had to be a man. The women were not allowed to be priests, certainly not a high priest or uh, uh, the Levites and so forth. They were all men. So to look after the household of God, it was men who were commissioned by God uh, in the Old Testament to rule over uh, the, the, uh, uh, the house of God, the temple, the tabernacle, etc. Um, and, and then the home. The men were to to be the leaders of the home. So th- this is cultural. It carried over actually into the church, uh, and and until modern times, uh, women were not pastors in the church uh, until very recently. Actually, last I would say fifty years or so, maybe sixty years, um, and and so this was something that would have been for them. Uh, a judgment of God and her offense. Women are going to rule over you. Um, and you think of uh, women like Delilah uh, in their history who seduced Samson uh, in order to give up the secret of his strength, um, who was working secretly uh, uh, subterfuge with the Philistines, the enemies of God. Uh, you think of Jezebel, the wicked wife of King Ahab, the most wicked king in Israel's history, the ten northern tribes. Um, and Jezebel was really the one who was pulling uh, the strings of the kingdom. She was in charge, not, not Ahab. Uh, Jezebel was in charge. And so when God says that women are going to rise up in leadership roles, this is what they would have understood that to be. Uh, you know, that, that basically uh, things are not the way that God had ordered them to be. Now, you see, if you go back to First Kings with King Solomon, that he actually uh, was the one who began to listen to his foreign wives, the foreign women that he took from the nations. And that is, that is the beginning of the downfall of the nation of Israel. Uh, they divided into two kingdoms after Solomon's reign. Uh, Rehoboam, his son, uh, took the two southern kingdoms of Judah and Benjamin, and it became one nation of, of Judah. Uh, the tribes of Benjamin and, uh, and Judah became the kingdom of Judah, and then the ten northern tribes, uh, the kingdom of Israel. And so uh, Solomon was turned away from the Lord through his many foreign wives. We read in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, and boy, that's an understatement. 
as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidoans, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Verse 7, Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, or Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but that he should keep what the Lord had commanded. And so Solomon, because he was you know, uh, willingly seduced by all of these wives. It doesn't say that, you know, that he resisted th- them seducing him to build all of these altars and all of these uh, places of worship in Jerusalem for all of these foreign gods. Uh, he went, he went along hook, hook, line and sinker. Uh, and, and, and he brought uh, idolatry into the kingdom and and Israel never really recovered from the idolatry that Solomon brought in way back in their history uh, it was a it was a plague and a curse for the people from this point forward and it is interesting that he had 1000 wives uh, uh including wives princesses and concubines now i don't often tell jokes but i'm going to tell you a joke about this uh and it's, it's i heard it from john corson so uh, you know, John Corson's a pretty funny guy. So he, he tells a story. John Corson tells a story that he says that he read in one of the uh, ancient uh, Jewish writings, not biblical, but, you know, the Jews had a lot of historical writings uh, that were extra biblical, historical and so forth. And he said that there was, everyone knew about this scene where the baby came before Solomon and, and the two women with the live baby. And they said, you know, uh, uh, you know, this one stole my baby. And the other one said, no, that's my baby. She stole two harlots. She stole my baby. Uh, and, and Solomon said, bring me a sword and, uh, and bring me the baby. And he said, I'm going to cut the baby in half and I'm going to give half to this mother and half to the other. And you know, the one mother said, no, no, give her the baby. You know, don't touch, don't harm the child. And so Solomon says, well, that's the true mother because she has the heart for the baby. Everyone knew that story. Well, apparently much later in, uh, in his reign, Two women came with a son-in-law before him, and and one woman said, uh, this woman stole my son-in-law. He belongs to my daughter. He's married to my daughter. The other woman said, she's a liar. This this man belongs to my daughter. He's my son-in-law. 
And uh, Solomon said, bring me a sword and bring me the son-in-law. And the son-in-law went forward. He took the sword. He was going to divide the son-in-law in two, give half to one mother-in-law and half to the other. And the one mother-in-law said, no, no, don't cut him in half. Give her to the other mother-in-law. And the other mother-in-law says, ah, cut him in half and let's divide him and give half to each of us. And Solomon said, that is the true mother-in-law, the one who wants to cut him in half. Give the son-in-law to her. Now, Eve listened in the Garden of Eden. She listened to the voice of the serpent rather than listening to the voice of God. And as a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 3, where we see the fall of man and original sin and and so forth, and it's not the sin of Eve, it's called the sin of Adam, uh, not the sin of Eve, uh, but we read in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, The serpent was more crafty or cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the garden, or we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die." Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. So basically, everything was perfect. There was no sin. There was no death. They had everything they needed. God had placed a tree there, which he had said the day that you eat of this tree. He never actually said the day you touch it, you're going to die. That's probably what Adam told Eve. Uh, but um, God didn't say uh, that, that if you touch it, you're going to die. But he said if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And Satan comes along, and, and the one thing that they were really prevented from touching or from taking and eating, uh, obviously, if you're going to touch it, you're probably going to uh, put it in your mouth eventually there. But she, you know, uh, the one thing that God uh, said, don't eat of this one tree. This is where she apparently was hanging out because sin is always attractive to us. The thing that is forbidden, the forbidden fruit, is always that thing that allures us, that attracts us. And we think, I wonder why it's so bad. I wonder why it's forbidden. I wonder why I'm not supposed to do this or God says we're not allowed to do this. And so the enemy knows that that's the, 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 in the heart, the curiosity of sin. And, uh, and so he, uh, is striking up a, a conversation with her. We don't know where Adam was, obviously. Uh, you might not have even been there at this time when she was discussing it with the serpent. But, you know, basically, Satan came to her and, and he questioned God's word. He says, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And he twisted God's word. God never said you shall not eat of every tree. God said you could eat of any tree except for this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So Satan comes to her, begins to talk to her, begins to twist the scriptures. He begins a dialogue with Eve. And it's always dangerous to dialogue with the devil. Be careful online. 
Be careful when you're on social media because you don't know who it is and what power influence they're under who is attacking you and who is trying to deceive you. Uh, you don't even know these people that hate you so much and you know, and you get all riled up over what? Over a post they put and they may be a Russian or Chinese hacker. You don't even know who you're dealing with. Uh, but you have to be careful uh, not to dialogue with the devil. It's a losing battle. He's smarter than you are. He's smarter than I am. And so Eve is having a conversation. She's answering his question. She's telling him what her husband, uh, Adam, had told her. Uh, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent clearly, first he questioned God's word. Then he twisted God's word. Then he contradicted God's word. He says to her, you will not surely die. And at this point, he is clearly contradicting the word of God. And there was only really one command that was given to, to man. This was the only rule they had, and they couldn't even keep this one rule. And they were our best shot at it because they were sinless. They were created without sin until they ate of the tree and disobeyed the word of God. And so he says, you shall not surely die, contradicting God's word, uh, and, and he tells how, you know, Satan tells half, half truths because the reality is, is her soul would go on forever. So it was to some degree a half truth. Her body would die, but her soul, uh, uh, would go on, but it wouldn't go on to be with the Lord. And he says, uh, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. And see, the problem is not the good. The problem is knowing evil. You know, knowing good, God reveals to us what is good. Everything that he shares with us in his word is good. Everything that he gives us to enjoy in our lives is good for us as long as it's uh, given within the confines of scripture and we can live safely within the boundaries of the scriptures. And it's all good. If it's in the Bible for us, it's good for us. But Satan always says, but wait a second, there's something that's outside of the Bible. It's not permitted by God, but you know, you're, you're going to find good out there too in rebellion against God, in disobedience. And of course, it's a lie. And it's he still lies to us this way today. And actually, uh, there's many people who are attracted by evil. Evil has become attractive. Uh, evil is alluring. And, and people, um, they... They do basically, they do the same thing that, that Eve did here. They dialogue with the devil. They begin to question the word of God. They begin to twist the word of God. Then they flat out disobey the word of God and they think it's all going to just work out fine for them. And in reality, the end of sin is death. Now, this was not the sin of Eve, but it was the sin of Adam because Adam was created first. And, uh, and so this is, you know, this is the Adamic fall or the Adamic sin or the original sin of Adam. And, uh, he didn't have to, uh, take and eat. He did so. We don't know why. His uh, wife had taken and eaten of the tree. Uh, and then she gave to him and he ate it, ate it. And it became, uh, the curse of sin. Death came as a result. And they didn't, uh, live to be one day old in God's economy because uh, a day is like a thousand years to God. A thousand years is like a day. Second Peter tells us, Psalm 90 tells us this. And so Adam didn't live and Eve didn't live for one day according to God's calendar. They died uh, when they were 900 and some odd years old. Uh, but a thousand years is one day. 
uh, and a day is, is like a thousand years to God. But they died spiritually immediately. As soon as they disobeyed God, uh, they had they had died. Separation occurred between them and God. No longer harmony. No longer fellowship. No longer walking in the cool of the of the garden in the cool of the day with the Lord. Sin entered in, and sin brought death, and death is separation. So although they didn't die physically immediately, they died later, uh, and death passed to all men. Uh, they died spiritually, instantaneously, which is why now they went and they hid and they made for themselves clothes of fig leaves to cover up their shame and their nakedness. But the interesting thing is here, uh, with the curse upon the woman, it was different than the curse upon the man, but we read in verse 16, to the woman God said, as a result of her disobedience and sin, this is her curse. He says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Indeed, that is a fact. If you've, you're a woman, you've ever had a child, or you're a man, you've ever been with your wife when she's had a child, excruciating pain. In pain you shall bring forth children. Then he says, uh, interesting, this is part of the curse. He says, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So there's really two aspects to the curse upon the woman, and that is that there's going to be pain and sorrow in childbearing, which indeed there is still to this day from that time forth, and your desire shall be for your husband. And a lot of women are thinking, well, my desire is not for my husband. You know, he doesn't do anything around the house. He doesn't throw the trash. He just sits in front of the TV and watches football or whatever. You know, I don't understand. Why would it say that uh, uh, the desire is for the husband? Well, because the idea of the desire being for the husband is to rule over the husband, to dominate the husband. That's what the desire is. That's why he says, but he will rule over you. He's going to have authority over you. So this goes all the way back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. This idea of the order uh, of the home, the man being the head of the household, uh, which is confirmed in the New Testament, the spiritual leader of the home. But the wife's desire is going to be to rule over her husband. This is the curse. This is something that women have to fight against uh, their whole lives is wanting to rule and think they could do a better job uh, than their husband in the home. And uh, feminism has its roots in this. Feminism, and, 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 you know, some of the modern feminists are scary. I mean, it's really sort of scary to hear the sort of things they say. They do not want equality. Fem feminists don't want equality. They want to dominate men. They want to be over men. They want to rule everything. They want to be in charge because they think men are just oafs. They're misogynists. They're chauvinist pigs. And they're just losers. The feminists, most feminists, a lot of them are actually lesbians. They don't even like men at all. So, uh, but it's not about equality. Feminism's not about equal rights for women. It's about who's going to be in charge. Who's going to be over everything? The home, the business, the government, the church. And, and so, uh, it, it is, it is the roots of feminism is all the way back here in Genesis chapter three. Your desire will be for your husband. He shall rule over you. How do I know that that's what desire means? Well, if you go to chapter four and verse seven, when God was trying to reach Cain before he murdered his brother Abel, the Lord says this to Cain in verse 7 of chapter 4. He says, if you do well, 
will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at your door. Sin is, is just waiting to, to attack you. Cain, sin is waiting to devour you. He says, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So the idea is that Satan through sin was trying to dominate Cain and get him to murder his brother. To, you know, sin's desire is for you, Cain. And, and it's not a good desire. It's a domination. And of course, he gave in to sin. And Cain murdered his brother Abel and the first two children. God had said that, you know, the wages, uh, that the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. You're going to bring death into the world. And the first two children that Adam and Eve conceived, the older brother murdered the younger brother. And I'm sure that they began to understand the consequences of death and of their sin uh, in the Garden of Eden. So the desire is not a good thing. Your desire will be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. And this is a big, this is a big issue, guys, in, in our culture, as you, I, I don't need to tell you. It's a big, I remember I was speaking to, um, when I was working for the, for the county supervisor up in Tehachapi, uh, as his field representative, I, I knew a lot of local business owners and so forth. And, uh, there was a new, um, art studio that opened downtown Tehachapi and, and, and I became, uh, acquainted with the owner and so forth. And the owner's daughter came in one time when I was happened to be there and she was a, a bisexual atheist practicing witch. If you put all that together, she wasn't sure if she was gay or straight. So she just kind of was both. And you know, that's a bisexual. She was an atheist. She hated God, didn't believe in God, but she practiced witchcraft. I mean, I remember on Sam Hain for Halloween, she was celebrating Sam Hain and doing certain uh, uh, cultic practices and and curses and things like this uh, uh, for uh, the Day of the Dead. And um, and so I talked to her and I said, "Well, you know, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian." And and she goes, "Oh yeah, you know, I don't like people like you." And I go, "Well, I mean." What, what do you, you know, why don't you like God? Why do you, why do you hate God? Why do you, oh, it's, you know, Christianity is about dominating women and Christianity is so much evil and there's nothing good in the Bible about women. Everything's, I go, well, what do you mean there's nothing good in the Bible about women? I mean, the Bible's full of great examples of godly women. Yeah, but it blames Eve for the fall. I said, no, that's just how it happened. I said, actually, it blames Adam for the fall because it's the sin of Adam, not the sin of Eve. And, uh, and so anyways, we, we, we had an interesting back and forth conversation, but, uh, she, 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 her mind was pretty well made up. She didn't like men. But, um, you know, this is commonplace in our culture today. Uh, women are taught to stand up for themselves, which is great. Women should stand up for themselves. Um, and, and they shouldn't be pushed around. Uh, but the problem is when it becomes, you know, us against them, and then it becomes this competition against men, and then it becomes this this hatred against men, and then it becomes, you look at every terrible example of a man, and then that becomes the example that you use instead of all of the good men that are out there that love uh, their daughters and love their wives and love their mothers and so forth. Uh, it, it is a real problem in our culture. So as Christian women, you know, ladies need to know, well, what does it mean to be a godly woman? What is, what does God say in his word about being a, a Christian wife or a Christian mother or a Christian daughter? Because I feel so sorry, especially for these young women. There's so much confusion out there, uh, to, to find your identity. 
in your looks or in, you know, in sexuality or in uh, immoral, immodest dress or what, what have you, or even in becoming something that, you know, you have to uh, be a doctor, you have to be a lawyer, you have to be a judge, you have to, you know, go start a, a tech company and be a CEO of a company or, or you're, or, or you're not a successful woman. There's so much pressure. Plus women are supposed to still have children when they want to have children. And then they're supposed to still have a six-figure salary and have a career and have a, you know, four-year, maybe plus master's degree from college. Uh, and, and then they're supposed to still take care of their house and have a restoration hardware showroom home or pottery barn showroom home, uh, right? I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And, and, uh, and it's, just, it, it's just impossible. You know, it's impossible for anybody to do all these things that are being put upon uh, the women today in our culture. It's not, it's not, it's not even, uh, possible to be able to, to, to do all of this. You know, that, that the movies that the kids are watching in the cartoons now, not only are they introducing sexuality and homosexuality into the movies and now into the cartoons, uh, but you notice that, um, women are the heroes. And the men are there to support the women. It's, you know, it used to be the knight in shining armor saved the princess. Not anymore. Now it's the princess who saves the poor knight, you know, who's up in the castle being guarded by the dragon or something. The roles are totally reversed. Uh, and, and, and again, this is part, uh, I warned you this wasn't going to be a politically correct message. So <laughs> it, it just is, it is what it is. And it's part of our rejecting God as a nation and embracing all of these other belief systems. In the New Testament, in the book of Galatians, not only is the Bible not chauvinistic or against women, to the contrary, the Bible esteems women very highly, but in Galatians we see that that God and Jesus Christ and the gospel message of Jesus Christ brings true equality between man and woman. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, Paul the Apostle says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And this was radical at this time. This was radical for uh, Paul the Apostle to say there's neither Jew nor Greek because the Jews were very prejudiced against the Greeks, the non-Jews or the Gentiles in this culture. And Paul's saying uh, there's there's neither Jew nor Greek. You're, you're all equal. You're all children of God. You're all, uh, the, 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 you know, uh, one blood created in the image of God. Neither Jew nor Greek. No uh, racism. No race is greater than another race. It's all equal. You're all, you all bear the image of God. You're, you're God's image bearers. God made man in his image. And in the church, he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. No favorites. You're equal. There's no slave nor free. You know, the early church was made up primarily of slaves because the rich people in Rome had no interest in the gospel message. They were partying, partying down and they were at their, their zenith or the peak of the Roman Empire at the time that the church was birthed. But the slaves, because the Romans captured slaves everywhere they went. They conquered everywhere they went and uh, brought it under Roman rule. And if they conquered you and you lost the war against the Romans, which there was nobody that really beat the Romans, uh, you, you became their slaves if they didn't kill you. 
the men did especially. Um, and, and so there were many, many, many slaves. Uh, by some estimates, 90% of, of the early church was made up of slaves. And they had no rights. Roman slaves had no rights at all. They belonged to the, to, to, to the slave owners, the rich slave owners in Rome, <clears throat> and they were like property. I mean, they could be beaten, uh, they could be killed, and there was, there, there was nothing wrong with somebody killing their own slaves in Rome. And so they had no rights at all. They weren't educated. Uh, their children had no rights. All their children were born into slavery. Then their children were born into slavery. It was like a perpetual slavery of the family. Uh, they, they had no hope in this life, and that's why they trusted Christ. And that's why the church was uh, exploding throughout the Roman Empire, primarily uh, with the slaves who were getting saved. Because if they didn't have hope in this life, at least they'd have hope in the life to come. So he says, there's neither slave nor free, and there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to say that they are joint heirs according to the promise. So Christianity is the great equalizer of, of races. There's no superior race according to Christianity or the Bible. Christianity is the great equalizer of genders. Male and female are both made in God's image and both are image bearers of God and carry value before God. There, there, there's a different order as we're going to see in the home and in the church and so forth, but it's not about better than. Uh, it's equal with just different roles. You know, it's, it's obvious that there's different roles because there's different physical attributes. And this is even getting crazy to talk about, right? About saying, you know, transgender guy, do you call him a girl or do you call him a man? And, you know, all, all of these, this confusion, this gender dysphoria and gender confusion and really cognitive dissonance where people just don't really know anymore. I mean, pretty soon people may say, I think I'm a porpoise, so treat me like a porpoise. I think I'm a puppy, treat me like a puppy, you know. When a, when a man says, I'm a woman, treat me like a woman, there's, there, it's a challenge. It's a problem. And, and so, uh, there are obvious physical differences between men and women. There are obvious physiological differences, hormonal differences between men and women. Men have more testosterone and so forth. Women have more estrogen. And, and so we're, we're, we're built differently. We're made differently physiologically, physically, biologically. We're different and that's okay. It's not better than or worse than or more than or less than. We're equal. We're just different. And there's different roles, according to God's Word, in the church and in the home that traces its roots back to the Garden of Eden with our first parents and the curse that was put upon the woman. Your desire will be for your husband, but he's going to rule over you. When, you know, Think about it. If there weren't physical differences, you and I probably wouldn't be here. In other words, when, when, when God brought Eve to Adam, Adam went to sleep. God took a rib from Adam's side and fashioned the woman, breathed life into her and, and brought the woman to man. And Adam said, whoa, man, when he saw Eve the first time. So from that point on, she was called woman. And, uh, and you and I are all here as a result of that physical attraction that biological attraction that Adam had for Eve. And if there wasn't that physical or biological attraction, none of us would be here. It would have ended with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. There wouldn't have been any children. 
If there was no physical attraction, uh, you know, God would have said, I want to introduce Eve to you, Adam. And Adam would have said, uh, Eve, it's nice to meet you. Shake her hand and say, I'll see you later. I'm going fishing. And that would have been the end of the story. But there is physical attraction because there are God-created biological differences, attraction, sexual reproduction, the sex drive for the perpetuation of the human race. We are different but equal. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, we read this about the role of women in the Scriptures. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 says this, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I like that the Scriptures declare that men can raise their hands in prayer or in worship. Do you know David, the psalmist who wrote the majority of the book of Psalms, often lifted his hands in praise to God? His son Solomon, who was the wealthiest, most powerful king in all of the world at the time, the wisest man who ever lived, when he dedicated the temple, kneeled on his, on his knees and raised his hands to God as he prayed to God. Jesus raised his hands as he prayed at the Last Supper. And we're told here that we are to, uh, my, his desire is that men will pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without without wrath and doubting. And so when you see men raising their hands in prayer or women, uh, they're, they're in good company. It's, it's just surrendering to God. Really, when you're raising your hands, it's just surrendering to God. He says, in like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls, or costly clothing, but which is proper for women, professing godliness with good works. And the idea is that women were not to be using their beauty to get attention. The outward, the external, the beauty, the braiding of the hair, the gold, uh, the immodest dress, to catch the eyes of men and other women, but primarily to catch the, the eyes of men and to use sexuality sort of as a weapon or to empower the woman over the man using sexuality to have power over the man. Because women biologically are different. Women are attracted uh, by men. Men are attracted to women uh, biologically, sexually, and so forth. And so there is a power there that women can tap into in the culture at large with immodest apparel or Nudity. You know, Hollywood knows that sex sells, and it used to be a big deal. You know, uh, HBO used to brag in one of their advertisements back when they first started. That's when they used to call it Hell's Box Office, uh, that the pastors did in the churches, that they would say, if you turn, tune into HBO tonight, we'll break all ten of the Ten Commandments, and you could watch. You know, that was one of their advertisements of HBO back in... It's a true story. You know, and and, and so... You know, part of it is, is that, is that Hollywood knows and advertisers know that sex sells. And so if you put a beautiful woman immodestly dressed up on a billboard, you're going to get a lot of people to look at that billboard. A lot of guys driving by are going to look at the billboard. If you put a woman in a string bikini on a billboard, you're going to have even more guys look. And if you put a nude woman up on a billboard, you know, it, it, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's biologically attractive for men. That's how God hardwired us. 
Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I shall not look upon a mate. Men have to, especially in this culture, men have to be guarding their eyes because uh, women are just taking their clothes off all over the place. Uh, and, 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 and so God is saying here, don't be that way. If you're a godly woman, if you're a Christian woman, you know, uh, women adorn themselves modestly. Not, not to dress sexually or seductively in order to draw attention to yourself, to have power over men uh, by using your body. And really what was God given is the, is the sexual attraction for the reproduction of the human race. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter speaks about this. In verse 3, Peter says this, speaking to wives here, he says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, not women be submissive to men. This is in the home. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, not someone else's husband, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. And this is including even unbelievers, women. So if you're married and your husband's not saved, he's speaking to you here as well. That Even those that don't obey the word, that they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Women have a huge influence on, 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 on their, their husbands, especially unsaved husbands being led to Christ uh, by their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear or respect is a better translation of that word. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit or a meek spirit, which is like Jesus, by the way. There's nothing wrong with being meek. Men are called to be meek also. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly and humble of heart. If Jesus is meek and he's the God-man, we should all want to be meek. So it's not a it's not a bad thing that God is saying. You're going to be like Jesus. He says, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet or meek spirit, just like Jesus, power under control, which is very precious in the sight of God. And so sisters, I encourage you to really seek the Lord about, about your attitude. Seek the Lord about where you fit in the culture, because this culture is just going to hell in a handbasket. We all know it. And and I feel so sorry for the daughters, the, the Christian girls. I mean, there's just so much pressure on them to conform and to strip down and to, you know, to 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 become a Kardashian or you know, Instagram influencer, uh, you know, and, and and all of this power and all this money and 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 there's so much temptation in our culture today. For our, for our daughters, our young women, it's, it's very difficult. They need our encouragement. They need godly moms and godly grandmas and godly sisters in Christ who are going to help them to pass the torch of godliness to our women, to the next generation. He's describing here the, that which pleases God, the woman that pleases God. Precious in the sight of, of God is a woman like this. Notice that she's chaste. You know, they used to uh, name their children. Uh, uh, chastity used to be the name of a daughter. It, it was a good name. Chastity means pure. Uh, prudence, that you're prudent, that you're not foolish or, 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 or f- full of folly. Um, uh, p- 
Patience. They used to name their daughters Patience and Faith and, and Hope, etc. All those names came from the Bible and they're good characteristics to seek after as a young woman. And so people used to name their daughters these names so they would live up to chastity or patience or hope or faith or prudence. And so all of these things are, are good for us uh, to, to, to hear how God perceives us because God made us. He knows what's best for us. This is his owner's manual. He created you. He knows what's best for you. Satan's the one who comes in lies and says, oh, hath God said? Is that what the Bible says? You won't surely die. God's just trying to keep something good from you. If you go with all these girls and you act this way and you dress this way and you become like this, you're going to be powerful and you're going to be a force to be reckoned with and you're going to be superwoman and you're going to be the hero and save the day. And that's what they're indoctrinating our young children, our young daughters with in our culture. In verse 7, to the husbands, the husbands aren't off the hook here. Peter says this, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, their joint heirs equal with the man, Heirs together of the grace of life, neither male nor female anymore in Christ, we're equal, that your prayers may not be hindered. And so husbands are commanded, Christian godly husbands, dwell with them with understanding. A lot of times men have a hard time understanding their wives, don't they? They just don't understand. why They won't stop crying. They just don't understand what's troubling them. And, and God understands, he, he knows this, that we're made differently biologically, physiologically. He says, so husbands, dwell with them with understanding. Just be with them. Try and understand where they're coming from. Give honor to the wife. So often if, if husbands would give honor to the wives in the church, the women wouldn't be looking for attention from other men because they'd be getting honor from their own husbands or their own fathers. They'd find their identity uh, in the place that God has provided for them instead of trying to get at the attraction of strangers. And men who are dogs who just want them for, for, for sexual purposes or lustful purposes. Give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And the feminists all go, well, there it is. That's not a nice thing to say. The weaker vessel. That indicates inferiority or less than. No. No. The weaker vessel is merely the one who is more Fragile, the more fragile vessel, the more delicate vessel. You know, in your home, you, most of you have perhaps a china cabinet. What do you put inside your china cabinet? Your most precious possessions, the things that you value the most because they're, they're so beautiful. They're one of a kind and they're fragile and you don't want anything to happen to them. You protect, you protect them because they are the weaker vessel compared to the other dishes that you have around your house or cups that you have uh, or saucers that you have. You put your fine china, your fine teacups, your fine crystal in places uh, to protect and to bring beauty to the house. Those are brought out on the most special occasions. And so this is not an insult to women. This is actually a praise to women from God saying that the woman is the weaker vessel. She's more fragile. She's more emotionally fragile. She's more physically fragile. And so husbands are to not just be, you know, brutes with their wives. They're to dwell with them with understanding, with kindness, with honor, 
So they find their identity in the home or, or in their relationship to their husband and not try to find their identity uh, out there in the image of the world. A godly wife, a godly mother is a gift to any man, whether it's the husband or whether it's the son that that mother is raising. Every man of God will often uh, attribute his faith to his mother. Chuck Smith used to always talk about his mom, about how his mom taught him. He loved his mom. Pastor Chuck loved his mom so much. She was such a godly woman. And he says that it's because she took him from the time he was a baby because uh, she dedicated him uh, uh, to the Lord when he was in the womb. Uh, His sister, his older sister had died. Uh, She was dead. She wasn't breathing. She was turning blue. They had no time back then to call. There was no 911 to call ambulances to come and so forth. They, they, they didn't have time to take the baby to the church or his older sister to the church. So his mom and dad rushed to the, to, uh, to the hospital, rather. They rushed to the church with the dead, uh, Chuck Smith's older sister, their dead daughter, and they brought her to the church and the pastor prayed, uh, over Pastor Chuck Smith's older sister. Chuck was in the womb and, uh, Chuck's uh, mother had said, if you raise my daughter, Made a, made a vow to God. If you raise my daughter, if you bring her back from the dead, God, I will dedicate this child in my womb to you forever. And God resurrected or raised Chuck Smith's older sister from the dead. The pastor prayed over her and she was raised from the dead. And so Chuck's mom never forgot. Every time that she looked at Chuck or she looked at Chuck's older sister, she thought about the vow she made to God and she dedicated Chuck Smith to God. And his ministry changed the world. There is such a, an influence that mothers have over their children and that godly wives have in the home uh, with their husbands. It's not a less than position. It's an equal position, although it's a different role, just like we're made differently biologically, obviously, no matter what the media is saying. In Titus chapter 2, verse 1, we read this. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience, that the older women likewise, that they be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or gossips, not given to much wine or drunkards, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, or submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. God does not apologize for any of this, guys, because it's just the truth. Whether anyone agrees with it in our culture or not, This is the truth. And if women want to find their value, they want to find their true identity, they must find their identity, not in what other people think of them, but find their identity in their relationship with their heavenly father and then begin to see God loves me. He made me. He put me here. He has a purpose for me. And women can change the world by the influence that they have uh, in their homes. There are so many godly examples in the scripture uh, of godly women you know, Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, 
uh, Esther, Hannah, Deborah, Naomi, Ruth, Mary, Elizabeth, the list goes on and on. And all these godly women that had these tremendous impacts uh, in, in their in their world because they loved and they feared the Lord and they found their identity in him. Back in Isaiah chapter 3. We read this in verse 16. Moreover, the Lord says, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and they walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet, therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion and the Lord will uncover their secret parts. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery, the jingling anklets, the scarves, the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, the veils, all the things that they were putting on them to draw attention to themselves and to, you know, get people to really look to them and then really lust after them. The headdresses, the leg ornaments, the headbands, the perfume boxes, the charms, the rings, the nose jewels, the festal apparel, the mantles, the outer garments, the purses, the mirrors, the fine linen, the turbans, the robes. And so they were, they, you know, they had it going on in this culture. The women had it going on. They were getting a lot of attention. They were wealthy. Israel was blessed. Judah was blessed at this point. They were, they were prospering. And, and, and so, uh, it was all about getting attention. And, 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 you know, uh, God says, the judgment is coming and here's what it's going to be. Instead of a sweet smell, there'll be a stench. Instead of a sash, it's going to be a rope. You're going to be dragged away by the Babylonians with ropes into Babylon as a slave. Instead of well-set hair baldness, their hair's not going to be nicely put together anymore. They're going to have some of them have be dragged by their hair by the ruthless uh, Babylonians, merciless Babylonians. Babylonians had no mercy upon man, woman, or child uh, when they came and judged. Uh, really, was God's judgment upon His people. Judge Judah. Instead of a rich robe, a girding of sackcloth. You know, rich robe would be fine linen. They'd be wearing coarse and, and uncomfortable and scratchy sackcloth like burlap sacks that slaves would wear. And branding instead of beauty. They would brand them because they would be slaves. And they would brand them when they went into the home as a slave. Your men shall fall by the sword, your mighty in the war, her gates shall lament and mourn, and she being desolate shall sit on the ground. And so this did happen. Uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, part of the judgment of God, and, and, and most of the men were killed. That's why in chapter four it says that ten women after that will grab one man, uh, because ninety percent of the men would have been killed, uh, in the war and in the, uh, uh collapse of the walls of the city of Jerusalem and the Babylonians came in and they spared none. They were merciless. Uh, and, and so, um, the women would weep and mourn and, and it was all because of the sins of idolatry and that they were, they, you know, the men and the women both were turning away from the true and living God and going after the false gods of the nations. Proverbs 31, I have some other scriptures, but we don't, we don't have time to go there. But, um, if you, if you want to read more in the Proverbs, because Proverbs is the book of wisdom and, and it warns us about dangers. And Proverbs 7 talks about, uh, the harlot, uh, Proverbs 5 also, Proverbs 9, 
Uh, and so you could read those later. Proverbs 5, 7, and 9 all talk about it in some portion of those chapters, uh, the harlot and the dangers of the harlot. Proverbs 31, verse 10. This is the virtuous wife. This is the, the pinnacle of, of, of a godly woman. And, and the goal really of every godly woman is this virtuous woman or this virtuous wife. We read in verse 10, who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts in her. So he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Here it is, guys and ladies. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing away, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her. In the gates, beauty and, and charm are passing away. They're 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 fleeting. You can't stay young and beautiful forever. And so, don't make that uh, your identity in your in your physical body or your physical image. Don't look to the the world to find your identity as a woman. Find your identity and your value in your heavenly Father, who loves you. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, Email us at coah podcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California. Mm-hmm.